The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Miss Meg, for all that you do each week. Well, I invite your attention this day to Sunday to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We'll be there this morning. Uh, we are in a series over the Christmas time called When Light Invaded the Darkness. And today we're going to look at the importance of the virgin birth. And speaking of birth, because we, uh, you all have been so sweet to my family and myself, thank you so much for your patience. We do not have a baby yet. Uh, Natalie is at home with Scarlett, who has her second fever in the same Sunday or a week from the last Sunday. So this is how it goes. We just pass it back and forth. It's like a basketball game or a football game. Unless you're the Chiefs, and then you just score all the time. But that's another thing. So, but uh, we are, in all seriousness, some of you have asked, when is the birth due? Well, Natalie's going to, to go on Wednesday. They're going to prepare her body, basically set her into labor on Wednesday. That doesn't mean it'll go immediately, but hopefully by late this week, we will have a baby. So that will be the goal. So uh, you pray for us. We appreciate your prayers. Uh, my wife is well ready to have this baby, and I think we are too. Uh, we've got through the last Awana night. We were at the hospital Friday night. We had the Christmas dinner. Today, after church, is our church vote. We have two weeks before Christmas. We can have a baby now. So that's what we say. So that's our logic. God may have other plans, but that's where we're at. Well, if you're visiting with us, we are in Matthew chapter 1. And because it is that time of year, it's holiday travel time, why not open with a great illustration about holiday travel faux pas, if that is the right word for you. This happened just recently in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And I've never been to Canada except to drive in, buy a Wheaties box, and come back. Uh, but that's all I have of Canada experience. But apparently their laws are the same as ours. They have speeding laws. This man, and this is a picture, uh, uh, well, this is not the same picture, but this is a picture of what might have happened. He was pulled over by the police speeding down the highway in Alberta, Canada, where you have to watch out for Bigfoot, elk, and bear, from what I understand, uh, from the animals. And after being pulled over by the police, the man jumped out of his car with a major shout, and he took something off the dash and threw it on the ground and stomped his foot on it really mad. And he yelled, I paid $500 for this thing, and it doesn't even work. And the officer said, sir, I pulled you over because you only have one license plate on your car. Were you speeding also? <laughs> and the man ended up in the back of the police car, true story, coming out of Alberta, Canada. You know, sometimes you have to be sure, don't you? what you are doing before you can make any sense of it. Apparently, that guy had no idea that he was being pulled over for what he was being pulled over for. And as we come to this time of looking at Matthew, you have to know what you're dealing with before you can really get what you're dealing with. For instance, if someone appeared today and claimed to be a king, if someone stood up and said, I am king, whatever your first name is, you would look at that person and say, where's the proof? And if they just show you a Burger King hat, you know they did not come from the right place. You would ask that question, what makes that person different from me or from you? What is his background? And friends, you have to know and be sure of what you're doing before you can make any sense of it. And Matthew, the writer of the gospel we are studying today, does have an angle of sense of what he's talking about. He is presenting to us, as we saw last week, that this king of Israel, the one coming to be born on earth, 
is the one true God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And he opens his account with the gospel of this king who's coming. And this king knows what he's doing. This wasn't a haphazard plan. This king, is, as Psalm 130 verse 8 says, is coming in this way. The verse says, and he shall redeem Israel from all of their iniquities or all his iniquities. That's what Christ came to do. God knew what he was doing. You know how many people in seminary, and I quote John MacArthur for this. He did a sermon a few years ago I just listened to to get these stats. He said, out of most evangelical seminaries, over half of the people do not believe. Half of future pastors, preachers, missionaries in evangelical seminaries do not believe that the virgin birth that we are going to say today was something God knew what he was doing with. God was almost like that guy with the radar gun throwing it on the ground and stomping it is how they see it. But friends, the birth of Jesus, as you know, was different than any other birth ever in this world ever will be. It was a miracle. He was not born, Jesus was, by a natural birth. He was, but by a supernatural one, coming as the king of heaven. His mother never knew a man, but gave birth of a holy offspring. He was the earthly son of a heavenly father and the heavenly son of an earthly mother, to put it in other words. He was the only one who's ever been born as soon as he was born, that he was as old as his heavenly father, but older than his mother at his birth. Think about that for a few times over. No one ever came in this way. No one ever will again. Christ's birth is unique. So why is it so important to study? Why is it so important? Is this just a man-made myth? I mean, weren't there other, don't the liberals say that there were other man-made myths about virgin conspiracy theories going on around Jesus' time? Yes, they were. That doesn't invalidate what the Bible says. Actually, the Bible says it this way in our big idea today. The Bible says you can define the virgin birth and you will literally lose your mind. Or you can deny the virgin birth and you will literally lose your soul. That's how important this is. This cannot be thrown out like a radar gun being taken over with a speeder. Look, Jesus came by a supernatural virgin birth and it's fundamental to our faith. Had he come as he did to be what he was and he, he did what he came to do, to die and be forgiven, forgive us for our sins. To be born of a virgin, to be born of the sinless God, the Son of God, is to be qualified to die in our place. Friends, this morning, that's what I want to look at today. You take this away, you lose everything that we believe. You believe this is just a myth, then you have lost the very foundation your soul rests upon in the gospel. So five things this morning, and we will go through these quickly. Five elements of the virgin birth. And in true Southern Baptist pastor form, they're all named with a C. Okay, so here we go. We're going to look at the conception. We're going to look at the compassion, the communication, the confirmation, and the consecration. If you can get those five down, you are amazing, and you have a very, very good memory. Because, friends, the virgin birth upholds the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we go to 1,300 places to engage people with the gospel, because we have the truth. With that in mind, if you'll join me in standing, if you're able, this morning, we are in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Verses 18 through 25. Why does this matter to you in the midst of all your crazy holidayness? Because, friends, this is the truth. And Matthew records, starting in verse 18 of chapter 1. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with the child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man or a righteous man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, or woe, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And we will use this next verse in a sermon, just this one verse next week. And it says, 
she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. May God bless the reading, hearing, and doing of his word. Will you pray with me this morning as we start? Father, these are old words, old words in the year sense, Father. They're familiar words because most of the people in this church have grown up in some way, shape, or form hearing these words once a year or multiple times in the year. Father, we've read through these. We've heard numerous studies over these. Yet, Lord, I pray, as your Holy Spirit is mentioned twice in this passage, that your Holy Spirit would, would, the unction of the Spirit, as the old word says, would come upon us, Lord, and we would have revelatory insight to what your word says, not in any new way, Lord, but what your text says and how that applies to our lives today. Father, may you be glorified. Father, as we seek to defend one of the greatest doctrines of our faith today in a short time, Father, I pray this is not mere head knowledge, but by your Spirit that the same thing would be applied to our heart and burn the fuel of the fire that reaches people for Jesus Christ. Father, I, we love you and we praise you and we thank you that Christ came and died for our sins. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, if you were here last week outside of some Freudian slips, we got through the message of the genealogical thing last week. Many of you came up and said, you know, I, uh, genealogies are very interesting to me. I never knew God had such detail in all of this. And friends, we're going to see that again today. First thing I want to see quickly is the conception, the conception. Here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, you see how Christ came to be. It says, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be child with child from the Holy Spirit. Matthew has been writing to Jewish, Jewish audience, and he's been proving to them through the genealogy to the birth narrative that this king is the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is not just a random birth. This is a royal birth from on high. But his mother Mary has now been betrothed to Joseph. That's very important, and let me just unpack that for a second. It's kind of like an engagement today. We have two newly engaged couples in our, in our midst, two young couples getting married in the next year. But to break a betrothal would require a legal severance. The length of the, uh, the engagement was 10 to 12 months, but to break it was a very, very serious thing. In fact, to break it would be uh, more serious than an engagement today. You can get engaged to one person one day, break it off, and engage to another person another day, and have Elvis marry you in Las Vegas. You know, it all, that's how we view that today. But during this time, the couple would see each other. Let me just remind you, refresh your mind perhaps, that Mary was from a poor family. She was most likely a teenager. We don't know the exact age, but she had uh, a sister. Her father was probably Eli. Her cousin was definitely Elizabeth. We know that from Luke chapter 1 and 2. And we also know that she was serious about her relationship with God. The, the passage that uh, Gail read for us at the Advent showed that she was the highly favored one. Friends, she is not to be worshipped, this Mary, but she is a highly favored favored one. God saw her faith and knew that she was serious about her, and she was marked by her submission to the word and the will of God. But what also comes out of her mouth is, a, it's amazing, it's nothing but Bible. That's, a, that's amazing to me. 
I mean, in today's world, what comes out of our mouth is the overflow of our hearts, what Christ said. But for Mary, she stored up God's word in her heart to such a degree that she was submissive to God, even when she came and said, oh, by the way, you're pregnant and you've never been with a man, but this is a super birth coming to you. I don't know about you, but I would be very scared at that point. Joseph is like many in our blue collar, majority blue collar congregation. Joseph was a construction worker, for lack of a better word. He was a carpenter. He was the guy that you hired to do all that stuff that, like me, you can't do, and you just hope that you can learn somehow to do. But it says that his father was Jacob. We know that from other places. And he was a righteous man. How many of you have the word righteous in verse 19? Uh, most of you all have righteous or just. You might have that in your Bible. Friends, he was literally, the word here is walking in a manner consistent with his confession. He was a saved man, not because he did anything good, but Joseph was a saved man because he followed by faith alone in Christ alone, the same Christ we believe in today. And what I want you to know, he was probably older than Mary. In fact, probably significantly older than Mary. We don't know how much, but probably significantly more older than Mary. But it says that before they came together, verse 18, before they had marital relations, where they consummated their marriage... Friends, what does this mean? This is all history. The first faith lesson I want you to see is simply this. Megan will put it up there. The virgin birth stifles our senses and arrests our logic and arrests who we are. Come, let us adore him, but not scrutinize him. So many Christians get to this part and say, well, God, if you could have done it this way, or, or Lord, we have science now today. If you would have just done it in this way, in this manner, in this, this time, then it, it would have been something very, very different. Friends, God's plans often befuddle ours. If you were in Sunday school today, I don't know how walking around a building for seven days and shouting and it all comes down, you figure that one out. God is good. You figure out how God can come down as he did, but he did. And friends, we can rest with that. So many, Time Magazine, all these places are going to have articles out in the next week or two. Check your newsstands as you're at the grocery store. Is the virgin birth real? Well, guess what? They chased that rabbit last year, and they came up wanting yet again. Friends, the application is is that the Bible places a high priority on this conception, but it also places a high priority on sexual purity and holiness. They did not come together before their marriage, and we should not either as people. And that's why it says there, also, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. What a great reminder for us that life begins at conception. Life does not begin when the government says it begins with respect to the government. The government does not have a stone's throw on anything that the Bible says. Life begins at conception. And friends, this is why this is so important, because a child created by God himself, and this one, none other than God's own son. How does that work? This was a miraculous conception by the Holy Spirit, not by a biological father or a natural father, but by a heavenly father, by the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. We will never understand the virgin birth, but we receive it and believe it clearly. Friends, you cannot deny what we just read and be a believer in Jesus Christ. You cannot. Because if Jesus doesn't come as a sinless person, then we are hopeless in our humanity. Here's what's happened in Mary's womb. Let me spell this out. The humanity of Christ, the human side of Christ, was created and produced by the supernatural and sovereign activity of the Holy Spirit and perfectly blended together with the eternal deity of the Godhead in Jesus Christ. 100% God, 100% man, merged into one. We call him the God-man, God-man. 
born without a human father so that he would not inherit the sin of Adam that has been passed down from generation to generation. And there's another one. Look, if you throw out the virgin birth, Christian, you throw out the original sin. And I don't have to explain this to you again. Give a toddler anything and another toddler is going to fight for it, right? Parents, grandparents, does original sin exist? It does. We love our kids, but we know that we have to not teach them how to disobey. They disobey anyway. That's how it goes down. But by having no human father, Jesus would have no sin nature. Did you catch that? God's plan was not haphazard. God's plan was perfect. After all those crazy people we talked about last week, even in brief, that had this bloodline coming down through, this royal bloodline, yet Christ was born of a virgin to preserve his perfect sinless nature. He was already in his deity, and the human that is sired by God the Holy Spirit isn't part of the fallen human race. He's one of us in our race, but without sin. So, Darren, that's great. That preaches. Woo! But how does that apply to me on December 11th here in the middle of the day? Here's how it applies to you. Friends, Hebrews tells us we don't have a high priest that can't sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one that's been tested as we are, yet without sin. Your Savior was a human person. Friend, if I can spell it out for you, he had to use the bathroom. He had to eat. He had to drink. He cried as a baby, just like you and me, yet fully God was he. Don't lose the humanity in the deity of Christ. Celebrate it. Remember it because your Savior was tempted just as you are, but was without sin. When you are tempted this week to give in to whatever you are tempted with, pray to Christ who came to earth as a baby and knew and grew as a man and knows what it's like to be one of us. So there's the conception. The second thing I want you to see is the compassion. Look at the compassion here in verse 19. The compassion in verse 19, it says, And her husband Joseph, being a just or a righteous man, unwilling to put her, shame, put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Friends, he wanted to protect her the best he could. What a, what a good babe that is. How many men today would rather shame their uh, ex-fiancés or ex-wives on Facebook than they are to care for them, even if it means the cost of their own image themselves? Note that Jesus, Joseph here is never referred to as, as Jesus' father. Rather, he's always Mary's husband or Mary is always his mother. That's very distinctive there. And he's a righteous man. What does this mean? We, we said it a minute ago. This means he's law-abiding. This means he's upright in character. This means he lives in proper conduct to God. And as a righteous man, he would have been ever committed strongly to the truths of God's word. And his truth and his heart is full of kindness and of mercy. But friends, he is saved. How are the Old Testament saints saved? You ever wondered that before? How are those guys hundreds of years ago saved? They were saved the same way you are today, by looking to Christ, by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, for his glory alone, they were saved. And we are told that he was a righteous man. Righteous because he did good works? No. Righteous because he had faith, and that's what saved him. Reminds you, doesn't it, of the great quote that often is used by politicians wrongly, but it has general application. Micah 6.8, he told you, has he not told you, O man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? Look back at the verse. He did this, folks. Verse 19, he says, right here, he says, and he was, uh, her husband Joseph was one willing to put her to shame, and he resolved to divorce her quietly. So two options. Joseph is pondering to himself. Two options here. He resolved to put her away quietly. 
Well, there's two options in the Old Testament law. If she was found to be an adulteress, if she had sex outside of their, their engagement or marriage, then she would be stoned to death. That was one option for him this morning at that time. The second option, and the option he probably considered the most, was to divorce her and have a certificate of divorce written and to break his legally binding relationship. But to go either way, Joseph was basically legally, even though he's doing it justly, washing his hands of the relationship. And there would be no improprieties here. But Joseph loved Mary, but he loved God very, very much. He did not want to take a high justice approach, stoner, and take a low mercy approach. Well, just don't let her die without some mercy. He wanted a high justice. I want to see this done rightly in a high mercy and grace. So he decided to file for divorce. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to protect her honor. He wanted to protect her reputation. He took the high road. And friends, let me just take an aside here on this very short point just to put up this here. Not speaking up when reputation is on the line, though we could set the record state, is sinful silence. Look, he had every opportunity to go and publicly say in the town square of his little town, look, do you know what this lady did? Do you know, do you understand what she has done? But he decided to put her away quietly. We need to be more like Christ than anyone else, but I think Joseph in some parallels has some practical application for us. Those who seek to protect the reputation and the names of others rather than doing harm. It's the opposite of slander or gossip, and social media is so much there. If you struggle with flying off the handle, then you may need to put a passcode on your Facebook. If you struggle with flying off the handle, then you may need to count to ten and pray, Lord, help me because I am about to go off the handle and I know it and it's going to hurt someone else. Be careful. Be very, very careful. But friends, do you see the compassion here? That word, that literally, that word there, resolved, meant that he had already decided what he was going to do. He didn't have to think about it anymore. He knew. He knew what the right thing was to do. And he did it because he wanted to do it. So what happens to Joseph? Well, let's go on to number three. Why is the virgin birth important? We see there's a supernatural conception. Even before the birth happens, there is compassion on Joseph's part. But now God communicates. Verses 20 and 21. Look back at verse 20. The communication, Matthew one twenty. He says, but as he considered these things, behold, considered what things? Let's just stop right there. What was he considering? He was considering his options. You all do this all the time. Do I take this job? Do I not take this job? But here it was, it was a life decision. The verb here is in the aorist. If I could be geeky greeky for a second, he had already decided in the past, I'm going this way. And isn't it amazing, guys, that when you make up your mind to do something, that God often throws a wrench into everything. And God throws a big wrench in here. He was firm and fixed in his heart. And the angel says, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And let me just stop here and, and, and tell you what this is. We have two things in the scriptures that speak about dreams and visions. Visions are supernatural communications from God that happen when you are awake. Dreams, as they are, as you imagine, are happening when you are asleep. But there's a double layer of communication here that appears through the medium of the dream as he begins to speak. He says, Joseph, son of David. I want you to track back with me up to verse 1 of this chapter. Remember this, chapter 1, verse 1. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It has long been known. It has long been predicted by the prophets and all the teachers that the awaited Messiah would come in the line of David. We did that last week briefly. But for the angel to identify Joseph as a son of David is intentional 
of the angel to signal our attention that Joseph is right in line with this messianic line, even though he is not the physical father. Friends, I want you to be reminded today that God often works in ways in your life and mine that are not how you expect him to work. I don't know if you have stories like that. If you've been praying one direction and God brings you a completely different direction and changes your heart. I've been on too many mission trips. I remember I wrote this in the notes just to share really quick. I remember a mission trip back in 2005. Actually, Gilbert and uh, Amber, you'd note this is St. Joe Baptist Association um, College Ministry, or the, the BSA, or whatever it is called these days. Uh, Baptist Student, uh, what, Baptist Student what? Union, BSU. I couldn't think of the name of it. And we were down in Mexico, and I was the translator for a Mexican mission trip, which is scary enough. And we got to the border, and we had to go in, and they were talking a mile a minute. And I can remember this. And we had a little lady, old lady, and I, I forget her name. And I have to ask. She had not spoken a word this whole trip. It had taken 36 hours to get down the border because you have to stop every hour for the bathroom, right? That's how it goes. And we, were, we had all these big trucks. We had all our, our materials. And I remember not understanding what this person at the border was telling us. This lady popped up and just started going a mile a minute. Where did she learn the Spanish? She said, I was just going to trust you to do it. But since you can't do it, I'm going to step in and do it anyway. And eventually she talked us into getting two of our big trailers that we'd hauled 1,800 miles or what I don't know how far it was, into the country, but we couldn't take everything. You had to improvise. We had planned this thing to a core, but God threw a wrench in it and actually did more ministry outside of not using our resources than he did with those resources. Better believe that's what God's doing right here. The communication. Joseph, son of David, he says, don't fear to take Mary as your wife. He has put away both of his options. He's put away now the divorcing. He's put away the killing, public or private, despite the fact that she's pregnant and not by Joseph. God is up to something. God has a higher purpose, a plan, and Joseph is about to submit to God and take Mary as his wife. Friends, God's way is not always the easy way. It is the narrow path. It is the hard way, and that's what Joseph does. He goes on to say, for that which is conceived in him is from the Holy Spirit. Notice it is not an it. It's not a mass of cells. It's not whatever else it could be. It is a child, and it is precious. It is God's own son. The conception is divine. It's a sovereign miracle of God, just like the water and the wine or the lepers or the sight of the blind. God's Holy Spirit has overshadowed Mary and the creative power that has made the human being and created by the Holy Spirit. This is where the skeptics come in. Darren, you're saying that this God came down to the lady, made her pregnant, and that's how it happened. Yeah, that's pretty much what I'm saying. And you know what, friends? Once you get past in the beginning, if you can get past that, then anything else you read in the Scriptures, you accept by faith, not because it's blind faith, but because you know the God of the faith. And the virgin birth is kids' play in creating the entire universe out of nothing. Friends, if you struggle with this, I pray you go to God in prayer. This is not something that you can just dismiss. It's not something you can just say, well, that's great, but really I don't think it's that good. Oh, it's good. Because if you believe you're going to heaven, you better believe in this. Because if you don't, friends, then you have a Savior who's tainted by sin. And if your Savior is tainted by sin, then give it up now because you don't have any saving in your Savior. And that's why he says in verse 21, She will bear him a son. Joseph will now be the legal and foster father, if you can use those words. And you shall call his name what? Jesus, which is a derivative, as many of you know, of Joshua. Jehovah is my salvation. Jehovah saves. And it defines the mission of what Christ came to do. What did he come to do? And aren't you grateful for this? He came to save his people from their sins. 
came to rescue those in ruin. He came to save those in pearl. He came to rescue those in sin. Look, friends, we are not here to tell you that Jesus is another Christmas ornament on your tree of your life. He didn't come to make a buddy club. He didn't come to make a social club. He didn't come to do anything. He came to save sinners, lest us get PC in this world and say anything less. We are sinners to the core. We have messed up before a holy God. We deserve condemnation. But Jesus came into this world to become one of us, to save us, so that we would not find ourselves in condemnation, but find ourselves right with Him. This is the application point. The heart of Christian belief is we are saved from God, not ourselves. We are saved by God, not ourselves. And we are saved for God, not ourselves. That is the gospel, friends. You notice that ourselves are not in there anywhere. This Christmas, remember... There's a lot of messages preached out there this time of year. It's very opportunistic if you have some faith to make some quick money about selling a book. Be very careful what you read. Very careful what you discern this time of year because this is the heart of the message. We are saved from God. We are saved because His wrath was upon us. We are saved by God. It was His Son who saved us. And we are saved for God. We are, not, we are bought with a price. We are not to glorify anything else but God in our bodies. He says He will save His people, and I will just mention this. This is not to save the world, but his people. His people were chosen by God and Christ before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, Romans 9, Baptist Faith and Message speaks of this as well. We'll hit on that more next week. Friends, I just want to ask you a question this morning. Are you grateful that God has given you this gospel? Are you grateful that he communicated to you once and for all, no longer through prophets and dreams and visions, necessarily authoritatively, but Hebrews 1 says, through his Son. Are you grateful this morning that the Bible tells you everything you need to live out this life? And I know you are, and I pray that that continues. He intentionally loved you when he came down to this world. It wasn't an unknown people he was dying for. He died for his people on the cross. Not one whom he died for will ever perish, will ever be cast down, will ever be let out. He laid down his life for his sheep, not for the goats, but for the sheep. And what a grateful thing we are. Let's move on for sake of time. We see in the conception, we see in the compassion, the communication, and now I want you to see in verses 22 and 23 the confirmation, if you'll read those with me. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. He says, all this, and this is, this is Matthew's commentary here, friends. The quotations have ended. All this took place to fulfill what the prophet had spoken by, uh, the Lord had spoken by the prophet. He will point to Christ, Matthew will, throughout his gospel. There are so many fulfillments that happened even in that one statement. We don't have time to unpack them all. But really what it shows is that Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, have you ever thought about why, why God didn't just send an angel? I mean, they're pretty cool people. You know, angels with big wings. Revelation 20 says we're going to flee. The angels will flee with us on the day of judgment. All heaven and earth will. Why didn't God just send an angel? I mean, wouldn't that have been easier if you sent an angel or, or, or asked for volunteers and said, hey, who wants to go die for me? You know, do that. And, you know, why didn't he do that? Because the only uniquely qualified one was the one who was born of a virgin. Look at verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. If you want a sermon on this, we actually went through Christ and Isaiah about a year ago. This was this sermon a year ago, the second Sunday. You're welcome to go on Tower View KC and look that up. But Matthew shows the virgin birth is a promise of Isaiah. This child born would be God himself. 
What an astonishing prophecy, friends. Think about this. Fully man, born of a woman, but yet fully God. God with us. He's not half God. I remember in, in, William Jewell, a good friend of mine, uh, doesn't listen to these things. Her, her name was Angela. She's a, she's a committed Christian, but she said something. She, she went up to one of the religion professors. She said, so God being God and man was kind of like half conditioner and half shampoo, two in one, and that makes it through, right? And the professor said, no. He's a liberal professor. He said, if, you don't, if you're really a Christian, you have to believe God is fully man and fully God. He's not the three-in-one body wash conditioner, and then shampoo. He's fully God and fully man, 100% of each, no more, no less. Friends, let me just throw this up on the screen with you. Megan will put it up there. The inability of the holidays to satisfy you may be a confirmation of your faith. The things of this world can no longer fill you up. Look up to this God. This God is 100% came down to us the Word came flesh and dwelt among us, John 1.14. We've seen His glory, the glory of the only Son of the Father. We believe that we have one nature. We are humans, but God, born of a virgin, came down to us. He dwelt among us. Friends, that is the greatest news that we have ever had. Look, you can elect a new leader every four years until you're blue in the face, and you will be blue in the face after a year like this. But Christ is God every year. He never gets voted out. He never gets impeached. He never gets Senate confirmed and hope that he gets passed through the, the majority Senate. God is God and he will always be God. And what a great thing that is for your faith. Because this holiday season, as, as your bank account sinks lower than it should giving gifts, or, or perhaps if you don't give any gifts, it stays higher than it is, or whatever it is, and you say, how are we going to pay for all this stuff? God has already paid fully for your salvation, friend. He voluntarily chose us. And this was affirmed by the early church councils. This has been affirmed through all the years of Christian history that Jesus is God. Now, this does not mean it's not without debate. There have been heresies that have come up all through time saying, well, Jesus must have just been this uh, cast for the ghost. God. No, Jesus is God and fully man. Nothing more, nothing less. Colossians 2.9, for in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Can you believe this this morning? Christian, as your heart rejoice, even after years of hearing that truth, I'm, I'm giving a sermon that any pastor has given on any Christmas day, any Christmas week. This is not earth-shattering, but as we have said from this pulpit time and time again, I'd rather be a broken record for the gospel that screeches because it's gone around. Some of you, I, I, eight tracks, or A or eight tracks, whatever you say, you know, a CD doesn't work anymore, or whatever it is, over and over for your soul and mine, because this is the truth. There's nothing new here in the sense that, you know, the, you can see the headline, the Kansas City Star, pre, pastor introduces new Jesus, you know. It, this is the same old Jesus. And it's the same awesome Jesus, the same glorious Jesus, the same Jesus that came to die for our sins. Friends, we don't want to invent new things here in the church. We just want to remind ourselves of everything that's happening here. Ponder and be amazed that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, including including you, including me. God was in Christ. He was not an alien. Uh, you know, type in Jesus, God in the flesh. He was not some alien, not Sigourney Weaver alien movie here, folks. This was fully God as a full human. He had the full range of emotions that you have, yet was without sin, and he is God. Let's end with this. We've seen the conception. We've seen the compassion of Joseph. The communication, this is not a normal birth. Joseph, take her as your wife. The confirmation that this is fulfillment of prophecy. And finally, verses 24 and 25. 
the consecration. It says, Matthew one twenty four. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth, and she called his name Jesus. Simply trusted God and took him at his word. Friends, this is the last application point, and we'll end with this. The instant your heart says, Lord Jesus, I give myself entirely to you for your glory, your life starts counting for time and ministry. God speaks. We believe and we act upon it. Kids, I just want to ask you this because our kids struggle with this. How many of us as kids growing up had to be told 5,000 times, maybe 10,000 for some of you, to go and do whatever it was? Amen? Joseph tells us here, our God writing through the things says that Joseph had immediate obedience. Immediate obedience. Kids, when your parents ask you to do something until you are able to do that or until you do that, you are in disobedience, kids. Teenagers, you are. Husbands, when your wife asks you for the millionth time to staple that thing to the the, the tree or the wall that you put off, friends, uh, that's a request. Fulfill it. God requires this. Well, can't I just pray about it and go seek wise counsel about it? If God's made it clear in the word, go and do it, right? There's no hesitation here. But Joseph is a righteous man, and what he confesses, he lives out. He did as he was commanded. He took Mary as his wife. Look, some of you will ask the question. I wrote an article about this about a week ago. I'll put it out this week. Uh, was, is Mary a virgin forever? Is she still a virgin? No, look at verse 25. It is a simple, straight reading of Scripture here. He knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Look, Mary had other kids. This is not at debate. Friends, Mary had other kids. This is simply Joseph fulfilling his ministry to his wife and his wife fulfilling his ministry to Joseph after they had Jesus, 1 Corinthians 7. Mary is a biblical woman, but she is not to be exalted any higher than you or I would be exalted in any other place in life. Friends, Mary is not to be venerated. Mary is not to be idolized. Mary is not to be worshipped. Mary is not to be hailed. Mary is not to be the mother of God in the, in the uh, worshipful sense. Mary is a lady who had faith just like you and me, and yet God chose her to do great things. The moment you put a big poster, a mat up there, and say, bow down and worship when we blow the trumpet, I'm out of here, all right? <laughs> Friends, Mary is not God's right-hand man. We do not pray to Mary with respect to those who do. We do not. We pray through Jesus Christ the one born of a virgin, the one who is the mediator, the one who is the one true God. Friends, we pray through that. Jesus, Mary is not the co-redemptress. Mary is not the co-matrix. If that's a movie and a theological title, there you have it. Mary is just that. But what I want you to know is that Mary and Joseph understood who Jesus was. Do you know who Jesus is today? Is he your Savior? If you died today, as unfortunate as that would be, do you know for sure that you would have this Jesus, or is it a Jesus of the culture and tradition of thousands of years? It's a great question to ask, but our Jesus reigns forever. Amen? That is our God. Will you pray with me this morning as we go forward?